Welcome to the Center Ranch Church Weekly Podcast. We believe that faith comes by hearing the Word of God. Thanks so much for checking out the podcast. Here's this week's message. Last week, we started a, a series that we're calling The Blessed Life, basing it on the book, The Blessed Life by Robert Morris. I've asked you to grab a copy of it and to be reading it along with us. This book has been around for a long time, so if you read it uh, years ago, I would love it if you'd go ahead and read it again. I believe God wants to speak to us from it. There's certain principles that our, our church needs to get in our heart and begin to practice and deeper understanding that God wants to bring us to. I've asked connect group leaders to lead your, lead your connect group family over the next month or so. And I know connect groups meet with different regularity, so you can break up the chapters however you want. We're looking to finish this series on November 20th, so you can kind of break them up however you need to for your group. Connect group leaders, there are, in the back of this book, there are questions that go along with each chapter, so you can make use of those to kind of guide conversation as, as you are together. And this is a series that is going to bless you as an individual, bless your family, if we'll listen, if we'll apply the things that we're learning. So if you want to grow deeper, if you want to go further, if you don't want to stay where you are, if you want to go on to maturity, take a step higher, continue to develop as a man of God, as a woman of God, you will learn things in this book, you'll learn things in this series that if you will apply them, it's an opportunity for us to mature. So if that's you, man, I want to mature. I don't want to stay where I am. I want to develop. I want to grow. We're going to talk about things over these next Next few weeks. We'll talk about things today that will help you grow as a follower of Jesus. So I want you to have ears to hear and eyes to see, amen, that we're going to be doers of the Word of God. So we'll, we'll move on in the series here in a couple of minutes, but I want to take a minute to review some of the things that we talked about last week. Last week, we started off trying to lay a foundation that God wants to bless you. That's his desire. He is a good father. He wants you to be blessed. And so we looked at a couple of different passages of scripture that talk about some of the areas that God wants you to carry his blessing in your life. We read Psalm 128 that talks about your household, how he wants your relationship with your spouse blessed, your relationship with your children blessed, your relationship with your parents blessed. Talks about how your children will sit around your table like young olive plants. Just this beautiful picture of the blessing of God in your household. We, we read from Psalm, or I'm sorry, Deuteronomy chapter 28, which talks about God's desire to bless people that walk in obedience to him. And he goes on for 13 or 14 verses talking about how thorough the blessing of God is for someone's life. You know, you want to be blessed as well. Amen. The problem is a lot of times we get fixated on one or two areas of our life that I, I want to be blessed here. I want to be blessed in my business. I want to be blessed over there. God has a more thorough desire for you to be blessed than you have to be blessed. And so when you read Deuteronomy 28, he goes on and on talking about different areas, different aspects, different dimensions that God wants your life to be blessed. He says you'll be blessed when you're in the city and when you're not in the city. We said last week that that about has it covered because you're all... 
always in one or the other. And he could have left it there and it would have been a thorough blessing. God wants you blessed everywhere that you go, but God didn't leave it there. It's like he couldn't express enough how thorough he wants that blessing to be in your life. He wants your, your fields to be blessed, your crops to be blessed, your family to be blessed, your bowl to be blessed, your breadboard to be blessed. Blessed when you go in, blessed when you come out, when your enemy comes against you one way, he'll flee from you seven ways. You'll be the head, not the tail, above and not beneath. He, he wants a thorough blessing on your life. But when God talks about the blessing that he wants your life to contain, it's always contingent on obedience. And so we, we, we covered those scriptures to hopefully build a confidence in the heart of God and to let whatever guard we might have up come down that we can trust whatever instruction God gives us. He's not looking to hurt us. He's not looking to take something from you. He doesn't want to see you take a step backward. His heart is so pure and so loving and so good. He wants you blessed. And so when he gives us instruction, we can trust it. God wants what's best for you. He wants what's best for you. In fact, I asked that last week. Most of you agreed. Yeah, I believe God wants what's best for me. Then we looked at the passage of scripture where Jesus said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. And we concluded from that, that if God wants what's best for me and Having a heart that is generous to be a giver is better than having someone, a heart that's just looking to receive. Then God must want me to be a giver. God wants you to be a giver. He wants you to be generous. That that would be the attitude. That that would be your outlook. That would be your heart, a generous heart. Amen? But when we talk about giving, typically people just think we're talking about money. And we have a very narrow view of what it means to be generous. Well, you, you need to be generous in every area of life. Generous in your relationships. Generous with your spouse. Generous, generous with your children, your friends, your coworkers, strangers that you meet. There's, you give, you have more to give than just finances. You give your time, you give your energy, you give kindness, you give encouragement, you give compliments, you give people, you, you give people of your talents, you give God your praise, you give him your worship. You have so much to give, but money is important. It's a, a key thing that we give, and here's the reason why. We looked at it last week. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart is as well. And, and we said that the way that you use your money, it's like the dial on a radio that you, you tune your heart to a certain station or a certain channel. You put your heart in a certain mode by the way that you use your finances. Your finances lead your heart. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be as well. So it's an important part of our giving because it sets the tone for the way our heart will be. You can't say, I want to be generous and kind with people. I want to be known as a giving man, a, a generous woman, but then be selfish in the way you use your finances because your heart's going to follow the way you use your money. You'll find yourself being selfish and manipulating people even in your attempts to be kind. The end of your kindness is going to come back to you. If you genuinely want to be generous, you, you've got to be generous with your money because it's, it's attached to your heart. Your heart is attached to your finances. We looked at Deuteronomy chapter 15. That God is talking about being a giver in that chapter. And as he's talking about giving, what topic keeps coming up? The condition of your heart, because the two are linked together. He says, don't have a hardened heart, a heart that's unwilling to give. And he says, don't have a wicked heart when it comes to giving, that your, your motive is just yourself. And he says, when you do give, don't have a grieved heart, that you're sad about it, that you're upset about it. You gave, but man, you're, you're mourning the loss of whatever it is that you gave. Because he says you can, you can trust that God is going to bless you. He's going to take good care of you. That if you walk in obedience, he says to be a giver, you can trust he, he has your best interest at heart. What kind of giver does the Bible say God likes? 
a, a joyful, a cheerful giver, right? You're happy about giving. Why? Because it demonstrates, God, I'm giving and I don't have to worry about a thing because I know I'm in good hands when I walk in obedience to you. Another thing we said last week is that giving works selfishness out of your heart. And that selfishness is a major, if not the major problem that we deal with, that we are by nature, you are selfish. I am selfish. And selfishness leads to all kinds of different areas of sin. And giving is something that helps work selfishness out. And having selfishness worked out of our hearts is huge. Because Jesus said, if any of us want to follow him, what do we need to do? We've got to deny ourselves. That if I cling to my life, I lose it. But if I will give it, if I'll be generous, if I lay it down, then I'll find life. He says, what does it profit somebody to gain the whole world, but then lose their soul in, in the process? So working self out, dying to self is enormously important. If we want to be followers of Jesus, if I want to follow him, I've got to deny myself, die to myself, take up my cross so that I can, I can follow him. If I want to have a surrendered life, I've got to have a surrendered heart. If I'm going to have a surrendered heart, I've got to have surrendered finances. I can't say, Lord, I give you my life. I'm surrendered to you, but I still want to call the shots with my money. I don't, I don't trust you with that because it, it, where your treasure is, there your heart will be as well. Surrendered life, I need a surrendered heart. To have a surrendered heart, I need to surrender my finances. And this is such a key area because this is a point where people get snagged up and keep themselves from genuinely being able to yield themselves to the Lord. So we'll continue with that series this morning. Before we, we do that, would you pray with me one more time? Father, we love you. Thank you that you love us, God. I ask for grace this morning to trust you, to trust your word. Lord, I pray that you bless each person here this morning. Lord, bless us with eyes to see. Bless us with ears to hear. Father, with a spirit of revelation and understanding that we could know you more, that we could grow in our love for you, grow in our understanding of your ways. Father, I pray your people would be nourished and built up. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. A number of years ago, there was a group of people from the church. We decided to go to an NFL football game together. And I, I love the Cleveland Browns. That's my favorite team. My dad raised me to love the Cleveland Browns. But a lot of people from our church like the Pittsburgh Steelers. So we decided to go to a Browns-Steelers football game. And the game that we decided to go to was in Cleveland. So we, we loaded up in a vehicle and we drove to Ohio. We picked up my dad on the way. He was going to go to the game with us. And we, we got to Cleveland. If you've been to a game, you know kind of the, the hassle of finding parking and walking to the stadium and navigating through the stadium and, and finding, finding where your seats are. So we, we, we did all that. And we finally got to our seats. And in the seats right behind us was a, a group of Pittsburgh Steelers fans. Just a, a bunch of big guys. It was a group of young, big guys. They're drinking and carrying on and being loud and rowdy and obnoxious, you know, the way Pittsburgh Steelers fans do, how they carry on and embarrass themselves. And so that, that's going on. I thought, oh, you gotta be kidding. They're wearing the jerseys and, you know, being loud. I thought, if we drove all the way to Cleveland, it feels like, you know, it feels like we're in, in Pittsburgh. I was hoping to avoid this. But as the game is getting ready to start, you know, before the game, they play the national anthem. 
And so the national anthem starts, and if you knew my dad at all, my, my dad was very patriotic. He loved America, loved the United States. He loved veterans. He was a veteran. He was just one of those guys. I mean, you just show a flag kind of fluttering in the wind in slow motion with music behind it. He's going to be crying. Just loved, loved the United States, loved America. And so as the national anthem is starting, the guys behind us are still carrying on. They're still get, being rowdy and loud and laughing and, and being, being disrespectful. I mentioned they were Steelers fans, right? And so that, that, that's what's going on behind us. And I, I could see where this was heading because my, my dad's passions. I, I knew, man, this is, this is a collision course. I don't like where this is heading at at all. If you've ever known someone that you knew certain things that bothered them or so you could predict behavior and you could see, oh man, this situation, I don't like where this situation is headed. And my dad had a few things that were kind of tells. I, I knew he was getting worked up. I knew he was getting aggravated. It was like a, a pot that was starting to, to boil. And I thought, I've seen these guys behind me. You know, my, my dad's older at this point. I know I'm not going to be able to offer adequate protection. You know, I'm just thinking, what, what in the world? This thing is not going to go well. And sure enough, we got about halfway through the national anthem. And my dad turned around and he scolded those men like he was scolding a puppy that just messed on the carpet. I mean, he just, show some respect. He began to yell at them. I thought, here, here it goes. My dad's going to get punched. Am I going to run? What, what am I going to do? But to their credit, I mean, I think they were startled it was happening. They, they settled down, they quieted down, they apologized, were respectful through the rest of, of the national anthem. But I'm, I'm sharing that story because maybe you can identify with someone that, that you know, or maybe it's you, that there are certain topics you know when it comes up, man, they're gonna have strong feelings. They're gonna have a strong reaction. It might be someone you say, hey, listen, when he's around, please don't mention politics. Hey, when she's around, can, can we not talk about religion? Because you know they're going to have a strong reaction. Action. They could possibly be argumentative and it could go negative. Have you know anybody like that? Well, I'm bringing that up because I want to talk about a topic this morning that has the potential to get a negative reaction from some, from some people. This is one of those conversations that you know, hey, we're, we're going into this and people, people might, might feel very strongly in a way different than what I'm, I'm about to say. I want to take some time this morning and talk about tithing. And, you know, we're blessed. We've got a lot of people in our church family that understand, that get it. But how many know we can all grow in our understanding? We all have room to grow, but we also have people that don't get it and maybe come from different backgrounds or haven't been taught. And it's a subject that has maybe been abused, manipulated, um, something that hasn't been taught well. And so I want to take some time this morning and just look at the word of God and see what God's word has to say on the subject of, of tithing. You know, tithing is important for the church as a whole. It's certainly important for our church family. It's, it's part of our vision, part of what we feel God has called us to. When you see our vision illustrated with those numbers out on the wall or anywhere where you see that 1,110 and one, our, our vision right now is we want to grow this body of believers to be 1,000 strong, to, to grow to a point where every Sunday morning we've got at least 1,000. That's not the end goal. That's just a point on the horizon. We want to grow past that. The 100 represents we want to have 100 connect groups, 100 families within the family. But the 10 represents a tithe. That's what a tithe means, one-tenth. 
We want to grow to a point where everyone in our church family is a faithful tither, bringing a tithe into the house of God for a couple of reasons. One is so that we could be well-resourced to do the things that God has called us to do. But secondly, and maybe more importantly, that our hearts would be united, that you would have a serious group of followers of Jesus because where your treasure goes, there your heart goes as well. And so you've got a bunch of people that are honoring God with a tithe. You know what else you have? You've got a bunch of people that have set their heart that God comes first in my life. And one of the things that I like to think about, I've got it written in my office, just something to imagine it and stir up vision in my heart is to think about what, what kind of impact could a large group of people a large group of united, well-resourced, serious followers of Jesus, what kind of impact could they make on our community, on, on our region? They, they could shake a region, a large group of people, a thousand plus growing past that, well-resourced, united, serious followers of Jesus. What kind of impact could we make? Well, you can see how important the tithe is in that. The tithe plays a part in all that, being well-resourced, being united, being serious followers of Jesus. The Bible says in Deuteronomy chapter 14 that the purpose of the tithe is to teach us to put God first in our lives. So if you've got a group of people that have grown to the point of tithing, then you've got some serious followers of Jesus. God comes first in our lives. So this is an important thing for us to learn about and grow. And so if you have your Bible, you can turn to Malachi chapter 3. Classic tithing, tithing scripture. And we'll work our way through this passage. Malachi chapter three. We'll start in verse six. So again, this is a topic that... that because of the potential strong reaction or negative connotations or, or people judging your motives, it's, it's easier just to avoid it, but the benefits are, are too important. What it does in our hearts, what it does for the kingdom of God, it's too important not, not to talk about this principle from the word of God. So Malachi chapter three, starting in verse six, it says, for I am the Lord, I do not change. Therefore, you are not consumed, O sons of Jacob. God says, I am the Lord, and I do not change. We've talked about this before, but it's important to pay attention to the ways that God is identified, the different names of God, and the ways that God chooses to identify himself because he has a lot of names. He has a lot of titles because they, they point to different attributes of his character. We can gain different understandings. So he could have said lots of different things about himself in this passage, right? He could have said, I am the Lord, I'm the creator. I am, I am the Lord and I am your provider. I am your healer. I'm the everlasting, I'm the everlasting God. I am the Lord and I am love. He could have said all kinds of things about himself but the aspect of his character that he wants to rise to the surface and for it to be in our mind is that he's the Lord and he does not change. You know, before I've used the illustration of, you know, people and the different titles that they carry. Use my wife as an example. My wife has a lot of different roles, a lot of different aspects. She's my wife. She's a mother. She's a, a daughter. She's a sister. She's an aunt. She's a teacher. My wife is ordained, so she, she's a pastor. She's a coach, and depending on which aspect you want to see of her manifest, you can use different titles. When she's called mommy, 
you see a different side of her than when she's called Coach Beth. Or when she's called Aunt Beth, that brings a different side of her than when she's called Pastor Beth, right? There, there's different, different aspects of her character that you put a draw on by the title or the name that, that you use. There might be certain names or titles I use when I want to put a draw on aspects of our relationship as her husband. Amen. It's the first time some of you wanted to take notes. I saw these people grab their pens. So the same thing is true with God, that you, put a, you can put a draw, there's different aspects of him, so that the name correlates to the particular attribute that you want emphasized, and here God is emphasizing one of his own characteristics and attributes, and what is it? I'm the Lord, here's what I want you to know about me, I'm the Lord, I do not change. Now he knows full well, he's about to go into a teaching on the subject of tithes and, and offerings. It's not like he's stumbling around and he doesn't know where this conversation is going, he says, I, I'm the Lord, you can call me all kinds of things, I don't know, I'm the Lord, and I I do not change, just kind of fumbles his way into a teaching on tithing. No, he knows exactly where he's headed, and he knows that there would be a tendency in people to set aside the principles of tithes and offerings as something that has changed over the course of time. It's something we don't do anymore. That's Old Testament. That's Old Covenant. So right up front, he identifies himself. Hey, what what I'm about to speak about, I want you to have this in mind as we approach it. I'm the Lord, and I do not, I don't change. Next verse. Yet from the days of your fathers, you have gone away from my ordinances and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you said, in what way shall we, shall we return? You have gone away from my ordinances. He's talking about statutes. He's talking about principles in his kingdom, the way that he's set things up to run that they have gone away from those ordinances, from those principles. And notice when he says to return, he doesn't call people to return to the ordinances. He calls people to return to himself. So when people leave the ordinances, when they leave the principles of God, what else are they leaving? They're, They're leaving God. He says, you've left my principles, you've left my ordinances, now return to me and I'll return to you. So we've got to understand the principles, the principles of God, the instructions that he give us. It's not something that we can just set certain ones aside and still be close to God. No, I walk with God, I love him with all of my heart, I honor him, I just, you know, I just don't buy into this, I choose not to obey that. Well, when you've set aside, you've allowed a distance to grow between you and his principles, you've also allowed a chasm to grow between you and God himself. You've set aside my principles. Now come back to me. Come back to me because he's one with his word. Jesus is is the word of God. Amen. Next verse, verse 80 says, Will a man rob God, yet you have robbed me? But you say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. So as he's dealing with his people, he says, Will a man rob God, yet you've robbed me? And the people respond, "How, How? how in the world do we rob God? How are we supposed to, it's not like you can pick his pocket, break into his house, steal his stuff, load it up in a wagon and take it away. How, how are we supposed to have robbed you? And even if you could, I mean, we didn't do any of those things. How, how have we robbed you? And then he identifies the specific way. He says that you've robbed me, how? In tithes and offerings. That when people don't honor God financially, when they don't honor him with the tithe, which again is, is 10%, God considers it theft. God considers it robbery because in the scripture, he identifies a tithe, the first tenth of everything we have, as belonging to him. A tithe that says belongs 
to the Lord. Now, what, what aspect of his character has he emphasized? He's, he's the Lord and he does not change. So this is important for us to get a good understanding of whether the tithe still applies to us or is it something that's been done away with? Because if we think, you know, I don't, I don't tithe anymore. I just kind of give as I'm led. I just kind of do whatever I feel or whatever extra I have. If the tithe still holds up, then it means that God still sees people that don't tithe as thieves. And it's a dangerous place for us to live in when we choose to rob God of what he says belongs to him. Amen. So this is something we've got to make sure that we understand what the Bible has to say concerning the tithe or out of ignorance, because these people apparently were ignorant. How in the world have we robbed you? I don't know anything about robbing you. They were ignorant, but he still saw them as, as robbing him. Still saw it as theft. So we've got to get clear on it and know, is this something I still need to be doing? Do I still need to be a tither or not? You know, when it comes to the tithe, one of the main arguments that, that I've heard is that people, people say the tithe is Old Covenant, it's Old Testament, I'm no longer under that, so I don't, I don't see myself as needing to tithe anymore. But again, God identifies himself as the God that doesn't change, but I want to look at a few scriptures where you can see that he says this is an ordinance, it's a principle, and we can see that the tithe is part of the law, but it also predates the law and postdates, postdates the law as well. Just because something is in the law doesn't mean that we can just set it aside. Right? There's, there's lots of things in the law. In, in the law, we're told not to commit adultery. In the law, we're told not to steal. In the law, we're told not to, to murder people. You can't engage in those things and then just brush it off as, hey, that was part of the law. You just, you just killed someone. Hey, old covenant. <laughs> Honey, I know I cheated on you, but I don't know if you've read the New Testament or not. New, new, that, that wouldn't fly at all. So why do we think that just, hey, if we link something with Old Testament, then we're free from it and we can just abstain and excuse our, ourselves from that. That wouldn't apply any other place. In fact, what you find is that when Jesus came to issue in a new and better covenant, there, there was an intensification, not, not a, a backing away. He said, you know what? You've heard it said that we shouldn't murder. I'm telling you, you shouldn't even say I hate someone or else you've already murdered them in your heart. He said, you know, you're not supposed to commit adultery. I'm telling you not even to look at someone with lust because you've already committed adultery in your heart. So really, if anything, we should be taking the tithe and say, not just 10% belongs to the Lord. God, 100% belongs to you. Lord, everything, I, everything I have is, is yours. You have bought me with a price and with me comes everything else that you've blessed me with. By the blood of Jesus, I've been redeemed. Nothing is held back from you. That, that's, that's the new covenant. If we want to differentiate between, between the covenants. But when you read through the Bible, you can see there were people honoring God in their giving long before the law. The first few pages of the Bible, you see Abel was bringing the first portion of his flocks and offering it to the Lord. He was honoring God in his giving thousands of years before there even was a law. Hundreds of years before the law, Abraham gave a tithe to Melchizedek who was a, a priest and a king. He was offering a tithe. In the book of Hebrews, Melchizedek is identified as a type of Christ. So before the law, he's offering a tithe. And as he's offering a tithe pre-law, it's actually a picture of what will happen post-law. He's offering it to Jesus, to Jesus himself. His grandson, Jacob, 
When he had that night where he slept with a rock as his pillow and he's sleeping and he has the vision of angels going up to heaven and coming down on a ladder or on, on a stairway. You remember that story? He wakes up or during the vision, God begins to speak to him about how he's going to bless him. He says, I'm going to be faithful to carry out my promises. I'm going to bless you in these different areas. When he wakes up in the morning, he begins to offer God thanks. And part of offering him thanks in Genesis 28 verse 22, it says, and this memorial pillar, I've set up, he takes that rock he was using as a pillow. He stands it up and anoints it with oil and says, in this memorial pillar I have set up will become a place for worshiping God. And I will present to God a tenth of everything that he gives me. He's talking about tithing to the Lord, not, not out of obligation to rules, not out of because I have to in the law. It's out of, God, I want to bless you. God, I want to show you how thankful I am that you're going to take care of me, that you've made promises to me. And he responds by saying, God, a tithe belongs to you. So, so all of that was pre it was pre-law. And when we get into the law and it was a requirement of tithing, bringing 10%, there was a purpose of the tithe, not just to burden people with rules and regulations. Again, Deuteronomy 14, 23 says, bring this tithe to eat before the Lord your God at the place he shall choose as his sanctuary. This applies to your tithes of grain, new wine, olive oil, the firstborn of your flocks and your herds, the purpose of tithing is to teach you always to put God first in your lives. So even in the law, when it was, it was required, there was a purpose. What's the purpose? It teaches us not just to put God first in our finances because it, it knows it goes beyond that because where your treasure is, there your heart is as well. The purpose was when I tithe, it teaches me that God comes number one in my life. So even though that was part of the law, is that purpose still valid? Or was that just old covenant? God coming first, that's Old Testament stuff. No, that's still valid today. We still need that ingrained in our hearts. We need to be taught that over and over for it to be instilled in us. God comes number one in our lives. God, you come, you come first. So you can see it pre-law, you see it in the law, but the purposes while it's in the law expand beyond the law. And then we get into the New Testament and Jesus talks about the tithe in Matthew chapter 23. Matthew chapter 23, verse 23. Jesus says this, What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law, and you Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore the more important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important, the more important things. So he's talking to religious people, that were very careful to give the, the little tithe off of what's growing in the herb garden, the mint and whatever else was growing in their herbs. They were very careful to tithe it, but they would neglect other things. Now, Jesus is addressing the tithe. And if there was ever a time for Jesus to say, hey, the tithe is old covenant, the tithe, we don't do that anymore. Jesus is going to speak directly to the tithe and his commentary on the tithe is what? You should do it. You, you should tithe. But the overarching point he's making is you don't get to pick and choose what rules and regulations you, you follow. You should tithe, yes, but don't neglect the other things. Just obedience in one area does not allow disobedience in, in another area. So you can't say, I'm, I'm not going to tithe, but I'm going to follow all these rules or vice versa. It doesn't matter. Obedience is obedience and disobedience is disobedience. And obedience in one place doesn't let you off the hook in other places. You don't get to pick and choose what you obey and what you don't, what you don't obey. 
And he lumps it in with justice. He lumps it in with mercy, with faith. Are those things still valid or are those Old Testament things? So, valid. Now, that's the right answer. Is faith still a thing? Yes. Should we still pursue mercy? Absolutely. Is justice still good or is that just, that's old, old fashioned? Well, he's talking about tithing in the same breath as all, all of those things. They are all things that we should still be engaged in. Verse nine. You are cursed with a curse for you have robbed me even even this whole nation. He says, you've robbed me how? With your tithes and offerings. And then he says, because of this, because you've robbed me, you are cursed with a curse. Now people will say, hey, because we're, I'm, I've been redeemed from the curse through Jesus, right? And excuse themselves from this. But just because you've been redeemed from the curse doesn't, doesn't mean that you are free from consequences of, of your actions. That if I leave here today and I go and rob a bank, smoke some meth, cheat on my wife, and do God knows whatever else I decide to do, are, are there going to be consequences? Or can I say, hey, redeemed from the curse, redeemed from the curse. Pick up a few prostitutes when my, my wife has a problem with it. See Galatians, redeemed from the curse, right? That, 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 that doesn't work. Even though you've been redeemed from the curse, and, and we have, it doesn't mean that you don't have the ability to get yourself back under the curse by poor decision-making and a choice to disobey God's instructions. Just like in the book of Galatians, it says it is for freedom. It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. And then the very next line is, don't, don't go back into a yoke of slavery. So you, you, you've been set free through Jesus, but it doesn't mean you lack the ability to put yourself back under the very yoke that you've been pulled out of. You've been pulled out of the curse, but poor decision-making and disobedience, you can get yourself right back under that and find yourself cursed all over again. There, there are consequences, either good or bad, depending on obedience or disobedience. Verse 10, bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. So you've robbed me, you're under a curse, but God's desire isn't just to see people under a curse. He wants to see them blessed. God desires our lives to be blessed. And so he talks about if you'll, if you'll begin to honor, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, there's blessings that will begin to flow into your life. So he gives two specific blessings that I want to talk about. He says, bring, bring the, all the tithe into the storehouse that there might be food in my, in my house. You know, the tithe, the tithe belongs to the Lord and it's given through the local church. That you can give offerings other places, but you bring the tithe. He says, bring all of the tithe into my, into my house. So you can give to other ministries. I give to other ministries. Those are offerings. I've had people ask. I had someone ask me just this morning, if I, if I want to tithe and just give to people kind of here and there, is that, is that the tithe? Well, no, the tithe comes into the house of God. That we, we give the tithe to men, the book of Hebrews says, but in, in heaven, Jesus is the one that receives the tithe. And the way that we give God the tithe is through, through the church. Bring all of the tithe into my house, that there might be food in, in my house. Food in my house. So God wants people cared for from his house, and he wants his house well-resourced so ministry can take place. So from this passage, we can learn that there is a direct correlation 
between people tithing and a church having the ability to be effective in ministry. That the two are related. People tithing enables a church to do effective ministry. Bring the full tithe in. Why? So there'll be resources to take place, resources to minister from in my house. When I was in college, I went to school in in Springfield, Missouri, and there was a restaurant near there called Lambert's. Some of you have been to Lambert's. Lambert's, the the little uh, tagline or their slogan is, it's Lambert's Home of the Throwed Rolls, which is a a weird thing for a restaurant to say until you go there and you realize they, they actually throw rolls. They've got guys coming around with a cart, big dinner rolls fresh out of the oven. And when you're eating at Lambert's, you've got to keep your head on a swivel because there's rolls flying all over. You let your guard down, you get hit in the side of the head with a hot buttery buttery roll. You've got to keep looking around. If you want a roll, they don't come and just set it nicely on your table. I mean, they'll pitch it at you from across the restaurant. You need a roll, just put your hand up and someone's going to be flinging a roll. There's rolls zigzagging all over the place. It's a crazy atmosphere. And not only do they give you rolls as you're, you're ordering, looking at the menu or eating your meals, they, they come around with big pedal, uh, kettles or pans full of macaroni and cheese, fried okra, all kinds of different things. And they just kind of scoop it and plop it on your plate or throw out a napkin. They're just bringing food around all the time. It's, you know, you got to order off the menu, but that's all just free, the rolls and the food. Well, when I was in college... I was in college, right? So there's a certain mindset of a college student, a certain financial situation of some college students. And my friends were in the same boat. And so finances were low, scheming and creativity was high. And so we, we thought, hey, you know what we could do? We could go to Lambert's and just order water and pretend we're looking at the menu the whole time and just keep eating rolls and macaroni and cheese and fried okra and whatever else they're bringing around that day. And once we've eaten our fill, we could even get to-go boxes. We could say, you know what? Actually, we're not gonna order anything and then just excuse ourselves from the restaurant. So we did that a couple of times. We would go, we'd get water, we would eat our fill, have a nice big meal, and then say, you know what? Actually, on second thought, we're not gonna order anything and leave. Now, I'm almost embarrassed to tell you that and to admit that to you, But it's a sign of immaturity, right? It's a sign of immaturity to go in there and just take advantage of people's kindness because that that, that food costs money. Someone's paying for that food, right? If every customer went in there and acted like I did, that business would fail. They, they They couldn't survive like that, right? It's a sign of immaturity, but some people have that same approach when it comes to the house of God. That they want there to be food in the house, but they want to be able just to come, catch the rolls, eat the macaroni and cheese, and and slip out without contributing anything to it. There's a lot of ministry that takes place in our church. We have a blessed church. There's so many great things happening. We have a phenomenal children's ministry. We have an amazing youth ministry. We have an academy that meets here through the week. We have a school of ministry that's growing and gaining momentum and training up men and women to, to be able to answer the call of God on their lives. There's events and outreaches. So many wonderful things happen. It it, it requires finances. It requires funding. God wants there to be food in his house. So the other part of that is there needs to be people that are willing to bring in the tithe to the house. We have an amazing facility. We have uh, 
heat and air conditioning. We're working on a roof right now so you're not sitting here with rain leaking on you, having the building re-roofed, all kinds of things that go in to facilitate ministry. It requires, it requires finances. And Malachi is saying in this passage, if you want there to be food in your house, then why not be a part of ensuring that there's food in your house? If you want to have a great church, and I, I hope that you have that desire, I want a great church for my family to grow in. I want a great church for our community to know there's a place you can come and hear about Jesus and be built up and edified and find help when you need it. I want my teenagers to have someone to mentor them and pour into them. I want to go into a space and just be able to join with other people and be led in excellence in a time of praise and worship. If you want all of those things, why not be a part of it? Why not contribute to it? Bring the full tithe into the house of God. Watch, so there'd be food be food in the house. Why not be a part of it instead of just a taker? It's a sign of immaturity just to go and say, hey, I'm just going to receive. I'm just going to receive. I'm just going to receive and never, never contribute. Now, if you're immature, that's fine. But the point is to move to maturity, that we want to grow. We want to develop. We don't want to, we start immature. We don't want to stay. We don't want to stay immature. I believe that when people don't tithe, it puts a limit on what they're able to receive. That when they come into a church and they are not contributors, that they've put a low ceiling on what it is they're able to receive in times of worship, in times of ministry, in times of teaching and, and, and preaching. Going back to my Lambert's example, that I could eat the rolls, I could eat the, the okra, I could eat the macaroni and cheese. But if I wanted a filet mignon, I, I was gonna get a bill for that. There was a certain level of nourishment I could receive without being a contributor. But if I wanted to move to the meat, if I want to get to the good part of the menu, that there's going to be payment required. Now, understand what I'm saying. I'm not saying that I've got some really good teachings that are just for the select group, pay up, and you know, I'll actually, I'll, I'll try to do a better job. That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm saying spiritually, I, you might not believe this. I believe there's a principle that if, if you are not a contributor, you, you, you limit in what you're able to receive from the teaching of God's word and what, what is available. Bring all of the tithe in this house so that you can receive that there would be food and nourishment for you. So when people come from other churches and they think they endear themselves to me by saying things like, hey, we're, we, we didn't used to get fed at our old church, start to badmouth other pastors and, and other, other churches. It has the opposite effect. It doesn't endear them to me. To me, that's a red flag. It indicates that they probably one didn't honor that pastor properly and so they couldn't be fed the way they wanted to be fed or they, wouldn't, they weren't tithers. And it's immaturity to have a shortcoming in your own character and to point to someone else and say, I'm not being fed because they're not a good enough feeder. Well, maybe you're the one in your immaturity that has failed to create the conditions where you could receive all that God has for you. Tithing is so important in our life for so many reasons. There would be food in the house of God, but also that God would open up the windows of heaven. There's more that God wants you to receive. And it's not just financial. It's from his word, understanding, and being a tither opens up those windows so that you can receive. Verse 10 again. So that's one of the blessings. I said two blessings we could focus on. One, there would be food in the house of God. The second one, we'll start reading in verse 10 again. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. He goes on, and I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground. 
nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. And all nations will call you blessed, for you will be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. There is a blessing God wants for you and your household, that what you put your hand to, it'll thrive, it'll flourish, that your ground will bring forth crops. God will pour out more than you have the ability to contain, that you'll be so blessed that you have to be a blessing to the people around you, that there will be an overflow in your life. God wants his people to be so blessed. It says that all the nations of the earth, they'll call you blessed. Think about that level of blessing where it just becomes a nickname for God's people. That the people in our community, the people in Harrison County in this region, that God's people would be so blessed that they just develop a nickname for us that we're the blessed people. Blessed in our finances, blessed in our marriages, full of joy, full of peace, healthy in our body, that we're so blessed that just becomes, they just call us, hey, you know those blessed people? Who are you talking? I'm, I'm talking about the people of God. What, what else am I supposed to call them? I mean, look at their lives. They, I call them blessed. That's the level of blessing God wants to rest in our lives that we would be known, that that would be the category we come under. What other people look at us and observe and come up with a conclusion, all I can say, those people are blessed. They're so blessed. That's what God wants for us. Amen. And he gives us the steps in how to get there. God, God, you come first in my life. You come first. And one of those areas of being a giver is honoring him in our tithes and in our offerings. Turn your Bibles to 2 Chronicles chapter 31. 2 Chronicles chapter 31. We'll look at a passage of scripture where you see this very thing playing itself out with the people of God. If we took time to read the previous chapters, we'd see there had been different kings of Judah leading up to the current, the current king in chapter 31. The current king is King Hezekiah. When King Hezekiah became the king, he began to issue reforms. In fact, the heading in my title is the reforms of Hezekiah. He, he was changing things, reforming things. Because previous kings had uh, allowed people's focus to drift. They began to serve false gods. They weren't honoring God and following his instructions. They began to be defeated by other nations. The people are, are struggling. Things aren't going well. And when Hezekiah becomes king, he says, you know what we're going to do? We're going to go back to following God's word. We tried doing what we thought was good in our own eyes. We tried serving other gods. Let's just get back to what God instructed us to do. So he issues these reforms. Chapter 31, verse 4. It says, Moreover, he commanded the people who dwelt in Jerusalem to contribute support for the priests and the Levites that they might devote themselves to the law of God. We'll keep reading, but one of the things he said is we need, to, we need to bring in resources into the house of God so that there would be people called to minister. They'd be well-resourced and give their attention to where their attention should be. It's that there would be food in my house. Just like in Malachi, we're seeing this run parallel, that the people that are called to minister could be well-resourced and do what they're called to do. You know, I think we've got 28 or 29 people on staff now at our church. And it's important to have resources to turn people loose to be able to lead in the areas and facilitate the ministry that's taking place. We want more ministry. We want that number to grow and not go down. Amen. 
God knows that it's important that people have a strong spiritual family to be a part of. It's important. He puts an emphasis on it. We've got to have people in place to be good leaders for God's people. So that was one of the reforms. Hey, we've got to begin bringing in finances so that there would be food in the house of God. Having a healthy church is important. Having a strong church, a strong family is important. It's important. It's a blessing for you. It's a blessing for your family. It's a blessing to help you find your purpose. It's a blessing to a community. It's a blessing to a region to have a healthy church, healthy churches. It's a blessing to the world. That's God's plan to offer salvation to people. There's no plan B. It's through his church. That's why Jesus said, on this rock, I'll build my church and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. He didn't say, we'll try this thing and if it doesn't go well, we'll figure something else out. We are the hope of the world, literally. It's important to have a strong church to bless families, to bless individuals, to offer salvation. The epicenter of what God wants to do in the world is the church of Jesus Christ. It's important. It's important to have people that believe in what God is doing and can honor him in their finances. And if, if you feel like tithing at this church, you don't trust the motives, you don't trust the leadership, you say, man, I'd like to tithe, but I, I don't know, I think Pastor Luke might be a crook, I think maybe he's got manipulated, I don't, why are we even doing a series on giving in the first place? If you don't, if you don't believe in what God is doing here, that, that is 100% okay. But find some place where you do believe in what God is doing and you feel good being a tither in that location. Because it, it, it's, not, it's not about Center Branch. It's about the kingdom of God. It's about the, the church. We don't compete with other churches. We want to see the kingdom of God grow and expand. We don't compete with other churches. We complete other churches. That we're all part, we're all part of the body. So if you have this hanging excuse in your mind of why you don't walk in obedience, I, you know, I would tithe, but I I just, I just don't trust. That's fine. Some place, find somewhere where you do trust. Leave here and find some place where you believe in the pastor, you believe in the leadership, that you can remove that excuse from why you don't tithe and begin to go all in somewhere. If it's not here, you need to be all in somewhere. It's, it's a blessing for you. It's a blessing for your family, a blessing for your children. So I'm not trying to approach this from some selfish perspective. If, if I'm genuine in my, my love for you. I want what's best for you. And if you feel like, man, I just can't tithe into this ground, we'll miss you. But it's more important that you walk in obedience. D don't allow a question mark in your mind about me or what, whatever other leader to keep you from walking in obedience. And we're not, we're not doing this series. We're not teaching on this because we're in a bad spot financially. We're not, I'm not up here with pockets pulled inside out. Guys, we're in a tough spot. We're desperate. That's not where we are at all. I think for the last we could go back and look. I believe it's for the last eight years. Every single year has been a new financial record. Year after year after year. Man, I, wait, wait, more. Pra praise God. Praise the Lord. So year after year, and I anticipate this year will be another. Oh my goodness, this is the, the most finest we ever, we've ever seen. We have more ministry taking place in our church than ever before. We have an abundance. We support other ministry, our church ties. We support local ministries around the state, around the world, support evangelists, other works, other things that God is doing. So th this isn't uh, me wringing my hands. Th this isn't... Uh, 
motivated by need. It's motivated by, by love and a desire to see you, your life to be blessed, that we would have people that could genuinely say, God comes first in my life and not have to add the caveat except in my finances. Because when you add that caveat, you've just erased the first part of what we said. God, you come first. Because what could we do with a large group of well-resourced, united, serious followers of Jesus? What kind of impact could we make? Tithe is so key, so key in that it unites our hearts. It resources the house of God. And it sets our heart on God comes first. The first part of his reforms. Verse five, it says, as soon as the command was circulated, the children of Israel brought in abundance, the first fruits of grain and wine, oil and honey, and of all the produce of the field. And they brought in abundantly the tithe of everything. And the children of Israel and Judah who dwelt in the cities of Judah brought the tithe of oxen and sheep, also the tithe of holy things, which were consecrated to the Lord their God. They laid in heaps. In the third month, they began laying them in heaps and they finished in the seventh month. And when Hezekiah and the leaders came and saw the heaps, they blessed the Lord and his people Israel. Then Hezekiah questioned the priests and the Levites concerning the heaps. And Azariah, the chief priest from the house of Zadok, answered him and said, since the people began to bring the offerings into the house of the Lord, we have had enough to eat and have plenty left for the Lord has blessed his people. And what is left is this great abundance. So that he issues these commands. He says, listen, people, we're getting back to following the word of God. We're going to walk in obedience. And people start following it. People start bringing in their tithes, start bringing in their offerings. These people have been under domination of other nations. They, they've been struggling, but they begin honoring the Lord, bringing in their tithe. Months go by and King Hezekiah comes to the house of God and he begins to look around and what he sees is just heaps, piles, mountains of resources. And when he first sees them, he, oh, this is amazing. Oh my goodness. He begins to bless God and bless people. God, this is amazing. I'm, I'm amazed at what I'm seeing. And after he kind of has that moment of shock and blesses the Lord, th then he questions the priests. He begins to question, hey, what's going on with these how do we get these heaps? Where, where do all these resources come from? Are, are, are we bringing in too much from the people? Are the people struggling? Are, are, we, are we hurting the people? Are the people o o okay? How, how do you explain this? And they say, listen, listen, King. The chief priest begins to answer him. From the moment people begin to bring their offerings, from the moment people begin to bring their tithes in, we have seen such an abundance that God has blessed his people. From the moment people begin to tithe, God has blessed his people. And what you're seeing, this is a tenth. You should see the 90% that the people still have. There is an overwhelming abundance. It is in heaps. God wants you to walk in obedience, not so he can get something from you, so that he can get something to you. So he's free to be the father he desires to be in your life. And obedience demonstrates trust for God. It demonstrates God, I trust you. I'm yielded to you. I'm surrendered to you. He's not looking to take from you. He's looking to bless you. He wants your life, not just financially. It's just one, it's like the, the thermostat. You can, you can gauge other areas by, by that area. He wants your entire life blessed. I don't know where you are when it comes to your finances. I know we have some people in this church that give above and beyond. They're incredibly generous, incredibly faithful. We call them kingdom builders. They give beyond the tithe. But I also know some people have, have never taken a step to give 
or they just give occasionally. And we've got people everywhere on that, that spectrum. And I wanna challenge you this morning, wherever you are, just to be yielded to the Holy Spirit. Be willing to be open and honest. Invite God to speak to your heart. And if you're not a tither, to take a step of obedience, to take a step of trust and faith and say, God, I'm gonna begin to honor you with my first tenth, to honor you with, with my tithe. People will say, I can't afford I can't afford to tithe. The reason you can't afford to tithe is because there is a curse. There is a curse that you're under. You can't afford to tithe until you tithe because until you tithe, it's cursed. And after you begin tithing, you realize I can't afford not to tithe. I can't afford to be without the blessing of God. When you're looking at your finances and thinking, man, I, 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 can't, I can't afford to do this. Understand that what we're reading from Malachi chapter three. The reason you have that perspective is because you've been warped and harmed by the curse that you're under and you come out from under that curse when you begin to honor God with the first part of all of your increase, when you begin to honor God with a tenth. If you've been reading that, the book, I hope you have. This will be review for you, but he uses an illustration. We talked about it in our connect group last week. It's something I, I just think is so powerful. It kind of plays off of the parable Jesus told of the master going away and giving three servants or three stewards an, an amount to be faithful with. And I'm going away, I'll come back and I want you to be faithful with this amount. He, he presents it a little bit differently. He presents it like this. He said, Imagine if, if I was going to go away. Imagine if I was going on a trip. I'm gonna be gone for a long time. And I wanna take care of my wife. I wanna take care of Beth and the, the girls. And so I'm gonna pick three people just to funnel some resources through and say, hey, listen, I'm, gonna wait. I'm going away for a long time. I'd like to be able to send you money. And if you could just make sure that my wife and my kids are well cared for and give them a portion of this, I'll tell you what, I'll give you $10,000 a month if you promise just to give $1,000 to my wife and to my kids. Just, just look after them, make sure they're doing okay. And so I give 10,000 a month to each of these three guys. And I'm, I'm gone for a while. After several months go by, I check in with Beth and say, hey, I just wanna see how things are going. Are the resources coming through? Okay, everything's going all right. And she says, well, you know, I, I ask about the first guy. Hey, I mentioned his name. Say, is, is, he, is he giving you the money? Oh yeah, every month he sends me $1,000. Appreciate it. Every month he makes sure that I, that I have it. I ask about the second guy. You know what? He, he actually gives 2,000. He gives 2000 a month. Why does he do that? I, I don't know. He says he just, he, he wants to make sure that we're cared for. He says he knows that he, your heart. He knows how much you, you love me and the girls. And he just wants to make sure he's, he's in line with your heart. So he's sending 2000 Wow, I appreciate that. What about this third guy? And she says, well, you know, the first month he sent $800. The second month he sent $300. And then last month he, 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 didn't, send, he didn't send anything at all. As a husband, what do you think my response would be? When it comes to distributing the funds the next month, I'm gonna make sure, hey, that first guy's faithful. I'm gonna keep sending him the, the 10,000. He's done what I've asked. The second guy that's gone above and beyond, what I'm probably going to do is stop sending money to the unfaithful guy and begin sending it to the guy that went above and beyond and showed that he had my heart and he loved like, like I love. And that's a picture of what Jesus says our current state is, that he wants us to care for his bride. The church is the bride of Christ. You understand that, right? The church is the bride of Christ. And God has said, listen, I'm gonna take, 
care of you. Everything that we have, ultimately, it comes from God. Everything belongs to the Lord. We've been entrusted with it to be stewards. And all that he asks is, hey, would you take 10% and make sure that my wife, my family is well cared for? And when you understand it from that perspective, it helps us to see that God takes the tithe maybe a little more personally than how we had previously thought. It's not just jumping through hoops and following rules and laws and regulations. It's caring for the bride of Christ or failing to care for the bride uh, of Christ. Obedience is, is trusting God. And if we truly want to trust him, truly want to obey him, that we've got to have our hearts yielded, surrendered, surrendered to the Lord. And it's only then when we're genuinely surrendered that we can know the fulfillment and the joy and the peace, the blessing that God has for us. And he's not just looking for a piece. He's not just looking for a part. If you could just kind of honor me in two or three areas of your life, he's looking for people that are genuinely surrendered all the way through, faithful to him, yielded to him. And finances plays a key part because where your treasure is, there your heart is as well. Well, that's this week's message. Thanks for joining us. To stay connected with us throughout the week, make sure you follow us on Instagram and Facebook. You can also watch previous week's services on our YouTube page.